Welcome to the Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. My name is Dr. Adriana Popescu. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and leader in the field of mental health, energy psychology, addiction, trauma, and empowerment. In this podcast, we will be exploring mental health from a variety of perspectives, from the spiritual to the shamanic and beyond. What if mental illness isn't everything we think it is? What if everything we see as a pathology is actually a possibility? What else is possible with mental health? Hi everyone, Dr. Adriana Popescu here with you today with another episode of Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. I'm really excited to have with me today two guests, Elaine Culverwell and Noah Gray. Elaine is a proud Enneagram type nine who is a marriage and family therapist with a private practice here locally in the Bay Area in Fremont, California. She's a certified Enneagram instructor and has worked with the Enneagram for almost 30 years, leading workshops for educators, business organizations, therapists, and the general public. She uses the Enneagram with individuals, couples, parents, and teenagers in her private practice and taught the incarcerated as part of the Enneagram Prison Project, which I'd love to hear more about. Noah is a proud Enneagram Six and a certified wellness coach who calls Cape Cod home. He received a master's degree in integrative health studies from California Institute of Integral Studies here in San Francisco. And the Enneagram is his number one coaching tool. And he's currently on the Enneagram teacher training track with the narrative Enneagram. Welcome, Elaine and Noah. Hi. Hello, hello. So glad to have you all with me today. We were just chatting a little bit before we got started here on how I actually had some early exposure to the Enneagram when I was in graduate school here in California. My therapist at the time happened to actually be a teacher of Enneagram. So I learned a lot from her and I actually went to some of these Enneagram workshops. And so um, I'm excited to share this topic with the audience today. But first, I would love to hear from each of you a little bit about yourself, um, how you got into doing this work, um, what drew you to the Enneagram, and then we'll talk more about what it is and how we use it. Um, I guess I'll go first. Um, I've been working with the Enneagram for about 30 years. It was introduced to our family because my sister and brother both lived in Berkeley, and that was sort of the hotbed of early Bay Area Enneagram work. And they brought a book about the Enneagram to a family weekend. And it was incredibly invaluable for understanding myself, but also my family better. So although at the time I was a teacher, I taught both junior high and high school and, and psychology in high school, um, I wasn't a therapist yet. So the first usage for me was with my family and with myself. And one of the things, I'll just give you an example. Um, I identified myself as a type nine, which I am. and um, one of the big avoidances of type nine, and this is one of the uses of the Enneagram, is to look at what we tend to avoid. And boy, right on the mark, it described me. And what I tended to avoid was conflict. And so I started noticing. I just started noticing how uncomfortable I was with conflict, started paying attention, started slowly, really slowly at first to make changes. But I'll tell you, I have come in the last 30 years from a place of avoiding conflict anytime I could to Noah and I now teach a class called The Gift of Conflict. And so I'm still a nine, but I'm a very different version of a nine after the work of all this time. And the Enneagram is just an incredibly helpful um, guide, not just saying, here's what you are, but also saying, Look at what you could be if you choose to pay attention to what's going on for you. So um, I became a therapist about 20 years ago and use it in my therapy all the time. And clients love it because it's very non-blaming. It's non-judging. It's just say, look, notice, do you see these things coming up for you? And are they serving you or are they not? So I'm, it's the passion of my life. I, I love that, Elaine, that you said that we can, we can use this as a tool to grow because what I have seen sometimes with some of these 
like typology systems, whether it's astrology or numerology or, you know, Enneagram or human design or all these different, you know, amazing modalities that are out there. Sometimes what I see with people is that they say, well, because I'm a nine or a six or whatever, therefore I am this way and that's not going to change. But I love that you're, you have the piece in there where there's room for growth and, and evolution. And, and we talk about growth edges, sort of now that you know your type, you've been observing where we do monthly support groups for some of the types for ones, twos, fours, sixes, and nines. And we always ask people, where's your growth edge for the next month? What is that one thing? And sometimes just having one thing to pay attention to can make an incredible difference in your life. Mm -hmm. Amazing. And Noah, how about you? Yeah. Tell us about you. Well, you were way ahead of me right there. And since I was going to say snaps to Elaine, because she's a very different nine today than she was. And that's <laughs> the whole name of this game, right? Uh, and I'm working on that myself as an Enneagram six with a seven wing. Uh, so I ran into the Enneagram for the first time when I was getting trained as a coach at uh, the California Institute of Integral Studies. They, there was just a small module on the Enneagram and I could never quite get it out of my head after that. So while Elaine as a nine is in what we call in this system, the body triad, where the impressions of the body are really big, I'm in what's called the head triad. It's all about the mental space, your thoughts and uh, imaginings and so forth. And my imaginings before meeting the Enneagram were pretty much that life, the world, the universe is chaos. It's just a bunch of random, disordered, scary chaos. Uh, and you could never pin it down. And then I met the Enneagram and that statement that I had lived by started to seem progressively more false that, you know, there was organizing brushstrokes to what I was looking at as a chaotic state, you know? Um, so that was just, I could never get away from it after that because it, you know, it helps my sickness in the sense of sixes want to feel safe. This helps me feel like the chaos of the universe has some palpable shape to it, you know? Yeah. Wonderful. So can you all tell us a little bit about how the Enneagram came to be? Um, I, it's based on some kind of ancient traditional wisdom. Like how did it come to the West? How did it come to, uh, to us having access to, we have books, we have courses, we have trainings. Like it's really evolved a lot in the last even, I don't know, 20 years or so that I've been aware of it. Um, tell us about the history. I'm gonna give you a little bit. It's not absolutely known. Um, it's what is known as in the 1970s, a couple of um, uh, uh, psychologists, actually no one knows more of the facts than I do. I, I know it was, it is thought to be based on ancient wisdoms from all different religions, particularly maybe in the Sufi religion. I heard it once described to me as um, in the, um, uh, that it was a way to look at how you might be separated from God. That, so there are spiritual aspects to the Enneagram, but in the 70s, it was brought by these psychologists to use as a typography to really help understand. And, and I agree with what you said earlier. Um, typographies can be great. I think this is the greatest of them all because it really can show you where you've been, where you are, where you could be and, and why. So um, I'll let Noah fill in any other history knowledge that he has, but then I have a really simple but important way to describe how it works. Okay, yeah. So uh, my kind of breakdown of how this you know, whole thing works is that really we're looking at a symbol and a system that are speaking towards energetic movement transformation, change, right? And that's across all things. So this is a map of energy movement and transforming that you can use on all kinds of things. You know, the disintegration of a star to bringing a product to market to any kind of thing, right? Supposedly this map can be used to chart the movements of the energy. So when we say the Enneagram of personality, we're talking about all of that energy movement applied to human psychological energy, right? Um, but bottom line, the sort of more Sufi or origins and that area uh, that Elaine was talking about, sort of the Eastern 
origins of all this are the much more spiritual take, you know, the much more uh, waking up from your walking slumber, you know, the very spiritual take. And a gentleman by the name of George Gurdjieff, actually, I'm not sure how much of a gentleman he was, but he brought the system from, you know, from the East over towards the West. And uh, that's where it was expounded upon by uh, Oscar Chazo and Claudio Naranjo are two really great, important names for how it sort of transferred from the spiritualism mostly to spiritualism and psychology, you know, the powers of those combined. Yeah. Yes. And so, oh, go ahead. Yeah, Celine, you were going to say something. I'm glad I talked about energy because it's our work and how we work with people is based on a couple of very simple ideas. That is, all human beings have beliefs about the world, about the world they're in. And so Noah's belief as a six has more to do with, it's a scary place out there and bad things can happen. As a nine, my worldview is more like harmony is what we need. And if there were harmony, then that would just, you know, be great for everyone. You know, um, oh, my, his name just went out of my head, but you know, why can't we all just get along? That's a very nine thought um, about wanting harmony. So we have these worldviews and we have a tendency as human beings, you know, as a psychologist, that to think that other people think like we do. And then we get tripped up when someone will be in the exact same situation, but see it totally differently. So what our beliefs are, then that draws our focus of attention. So my belief in harmony and wanting harmony will focus my attention on conflict, if there's conflict present, or the harmony that's in the room. That's a focus of my attention. That brings my energy. My energy and what I do and what I'm either upset about or what I'm working toward really follows that focus of attention for me as a nine. It's going to be very different for Noah as a six, for you as an eight. And so this is one of the huge things the Enneagram just lays out for you, saying, check this out. Does your energy get triggered around these issues? Does it get triggered around these issues? So in couples work, it's just absolutely fabulous to have people coming, thinking they're seeing the same world and then helping them see your experience is totally different, but legit, not right or wrong, just different. And that's what I love about it. It's, it's just non-judgmental. Yeah. So could we say that the Enneagram type that, that we identify with, in a sense, is a lens through which we see ourselves in the world? Would that be a good way to describe it? Yeah. I mean, we could take the, the word lens and even replace it with the word filter, right? Mm. We have so much data uh, at the narrative Enneagram where uh, Elaine and I were trained. I remember them talking about there are so many bits of data coming at us in a day, you know, and our, our brains could process it all silently or a lot more of it silently, but not all of it, right? So there has to be some kind of selective process and the filter for all that incoming information, that's your type, you know? For me, I tend to ignore or filter out a lot of the incoming information that says the world is safe and okay. And there's plenty of it out there, right? I select or filter for the information that says threat is everywhere. Hazard is, you know, in front of your next step waiting for you, right? Um, I filter for information that essentially affirms that worldview. You, know? yeah. you should tell her your Coke bottle story. Yes. So uh, this is how literal this filter is, right? So when I say that I'm filtering my, you know, the data comes in and my filter highlights all the hazard. I mean it like this. My sickness will be, you know, I'll be walking down the street and I'll see, say, a empty Diet Coke bottle turned over on the street, but I don't just see a bottle. I see, you know, a foot coming out of the bottle and a calf coming out of the foot and a whole leg and a torso and a person and they're falling and they're cracking their skull and the ambulance isn't getting there fast enough. And, you know, it's very graphic, right? I, I'm not giving you all the gory details here, yes, but yes, yes. <laughs> that all happens within, I would say like a quarter of a second. Coke wow. bottle, ambulance sirens. There's, there's, there's almost no space between them. And so, you know, that's how strong this filter is that it, it kind of will transpose the idea of hazard onto whatever is in front of me, you know? 
And I always use the example when I was teaching AP psychology and we were doing our unit on perception. I would show the kids a video and I would say, now what I want you to watch for is you're gonna see two basketball teams. I want you to watch for how many times the black shirted team bounces the ball. I turn on the video that you're probably familiar with this story where I'm going. They'll watch the video. I turn it off and say, how many times? 15, great. How many of you saw the woman with the umbrella walk through the court? What woman, what umbrella? I play it back and they're shadowy, but very, very clear. Is this woman walking through with an umbrella? And then I would say, why didn't you see that? And this is also a way of looking at the filter. When we focus on a particular thing, we miss other things. And so as an Enneagram type, it's just like watching for one aspect, like Noah walks, watches for danger. I watch for conflict or harmony, and we don't realize we're doing this. And so understanding the Enneagram just opens this entire world to people who are hoping to become more self-aware or wanting to understand the people they love and live with and work with better. So it's just an amazing tool to um, learn about these huge differences between us and how we're walking through the world. Yeah. Yes. And I, I know that also people are using the Enneagram in work situations, right? Because so oftentimes on a, on a team or with a boss and their employees, like there can be conflict or there can be this miscommunication. Like, again, like, why aren't you getting what I'm saying here? And so they're right. They're using it in these even corporate kinds of settings I've heard. Noah, do you want to speak mm. to this? <clears throat> so I'm a coach. I'm, I myself am not a therapist. I'm a health and wellness coach, right? So I'm not clinical on any level. And that really makes me want to sort of shout the message from the rooftops that this is for everybody who helps other people or everybody who just wants to know and understand other people. So, you know, uh, yes, of course, your therapists, your coaches, your social workers, you know, counselors, but, you know, all the way down to, you know, guidance counselor, teacher at school. You know, if, if you work with a lot of people, know a lot of people and have to kind of get along with everybody, boy, is this just, or you help a lot of people this is just invaluable, you know, uh, yeah. And two things about the working, the workforce or in the business world, um, a wonderful company would be some, a company that had all nine types. So you have type twos or the helpers, the givers. They're the ones who knows everybody's birthday and be and is sure that there's some celebration of relationships and, and the human beings in the group. Then you have the sevens who are, are known for their ability to have wonderful, new, interesting ideas, creative ideas. And then you have the threes who are the, my goal is to follow through and get it done. So when the visionaries are through with their vision and bored with this and off to someone else, you've got the follow through person. So having all these types is really important. And by knowing the Enneagram, because both Noah and I have done work with companies, Knowing the Enneagram allows you to have patience for people who aren't like you. So that in the workforce, like my husband knew about the Enneagram from me. He's, he's nowhere near the, he calls me the 24-7 Enneagram person. And, you know, his, his interest is much smaller than mine. But when he had a boss who was an eight, who scared a lot of people because eights are direct and sort of big in their energy, he noticed his boss one time when he kind of, my husband worked in research, not surprising for the five that he is because they are a head type and like information. He was presenting a project and his boss kind of came at him as eights might do to challenge him. Like, do you really know your stuff? But he noticed, and I don't know if you can see this because I have myself view off, his boss was going like this. And he noticed that hand and we talked about it and I said, he wants to empower you. He wants you to come back. Eights want to have worthy opponents and people who are willing to fight for their ideas. So instead of being intimidated, he just, he learned to come and present his ideas with all his information and his boss let him do almost anything he wanted. So that knowledge, not only can the boss have that knowledge to help with his employees, 
but employees, it can really help you work with people that might otherwise be difficult for you to work with. That's wonderful. Um, now, a couple of questions that I have. One, how does one become their Enneagram type? Like, is, is it thought that you're just kind of born that way? Is it your family you grew up in? Because as an eight, I can tell you, my father was also an eight, a very strong eight. And I know that in some way that impacted me uh, as well. So wh what do you all teach about how we develop these um, styles of, or filters or whatever we want to call them? Noah? Yeah, I mean, I, I've got uh, sort of the, the opposite tale uh, from you, Adriana, which is that we're essentially looking at, I'm a self-preservation six, which meaning my subtype is self-preservation. And if you look at the totem pole of types and subtypes, you could argue that that's at the bottom as far as confidence, sureness, right? Yet both my parents would seem to be eights, the most confident and assured type on the Enneagram, right? So it's, it's like, why didn't I soak that up, right? But uh, so that would kind of be evidence in my book for I think how we're both thinking myself and Elaine, which is that the raw content of your type, you're born with that. It's just not going to start to look like um, personality preoccupations until, you know, some kind of fall from grace happens, some kind of, I'm not sure the world is as good as I thought or as safe or as, you know, or maybe it's this or that or the other. And I'm, okay, now I have to question, but, you know, what's this world about really? That moment is kind of how I think of uh, where personality, the way we think of it, sort of comes online, right? And there was essence, more of essence qualities before the personality came online, but usually they're the essence qualities very much tied to the same number as whatever personality comes online. So, you know, I'm described sort of in my little youth and toddlerhood as the essence qualities of this type. And then as I grow older, I become sort of the very heavily identified, preoccupied version of this energy. Yeah. And, and I will say that over the whole teachings of the Enneagram, there's been a pendulum swing and it's gone back and forth between nature and nurture. Mm -hmm. Right mm -hmm. now, especially with so much brain science available, because they are noticing things in brains about differences in type, such as fives are actually the most sensitive of all the types. And it's one reason they tend to withdraw because their brains are more impacted by loud noises, bright lights, um, things. So there are some brain indications of type. Um, but I also believe that, the, that we are born a type and sort of how heavy our life is or what kind of things we go through in our lives makes a difference in how tightly you hold on to these characteristics. So my father was an eight and none of the rest of the four children nor my mother were eights. But much to his, his uh, disappointment, I think, we weren't all out there challenging the world like he was. Um, but um, there were some things having an eight father that me as a nine wanting harmony, no conflict made really difficult. So I sort of clung to my nine tendencies and my nine strategies, which now I find totally not useful. I mean, I still want everybody to get along, but I see the value in confrontation, which an eight absolutely knows. I see the value in speaking out instead of being more muted and silent. Um, and so I think um, like Noah was saying, this sort of sense of our personality has a lot to do with our experiences in life, how tightly we hold on. And then the Enneagram is this fabulous gift to say, okay, if that's not working for you, look at the ways you can have a much more fulfilling, essence-filled life when you make these changes. So Elaine, that makes me want to ask you specifically a little bit more about kind of the psychological applications of the Enneagram, because as you were talking just now, I was thinking about trauma, for example, yes. right? Yes. People, people, especially when they have early life trauma, clearly they're going to, you know, develop some defense mechanisms perhaps, or, you know, some strategies 
for mm -hmm. coping given the experiences that they've had. And so can you say more a little, a little bit about that? Well, different things trigger different types. I have to say that, that abuse, whether it's sexual abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse, that is going to traumatize everybody, no matter what type you are. How you react to it may be very tied to type. So we want to look at, so can I use eights as an example? Yes, please do. Yeah. Okay. Eights have this view of the world that the world is a tough place and the strong survive. So with that comes a lot of energy around strength and power. They're very um, aware of who has power and control in a room, in a situation. And um, I can remember a woman on a tape saying one time who was an eight, she said, I, I observe first. And if I think I have the power, I'll go for the jugular right away. <laughs> and, and so she has a way of being in the world. But one of the things we know about eights is what they avoid is any sense of being um, either weak or vulnerable. Because in a world that's tough, to be weak and vulnerable would just be the world's worst thing because how will I survive? So in therapy, if I know someone is an eight, that's a place I'm going to go gently, but I'm going to be aware that this person who may have gone through some trauma, that the theme of power of control of your own ability to direct your life, the own ability, your own ability to um, have control over your own life may be hugely powerful factors in why you are in my office at that, you know, at this moment. For another type, it might be something very different. And one of the things I love about the Enneagram in the last 20 years is the Narrative Enneagram, the organization that Noah and I belong to. They have brought on hugely the somatic piece, finding where the trauma is. And, and a lot of therapists know about Peter Levine's work and, and other work about the body speaking. But in the Enneagram work, we sort of are looking for what might be particular traumas of the type. And so, and where it might be the greatest. So for example, my niece and I were just having a, a three hour therapy session on a drive home from Tahoe. And she was talking about, um, um, Noah mentioned the subtypes. There are three subtypes overlays over all nine types of our survival needs, what we think we need to survive. And she told me two stories. She's a nine like myself. At night, she was the youngest, she would go to bed, they would put her to bed early, and then she would hear laughter and arguments going on between her parents and her sister. She would put herself right up by the door where her, her ear could be by the space under the door so she could be a part as best she could because she's a social subtype. She had no idea before we had this conversation. And she said she had a dream when she was young of her standing on one side of a huge body of water and her family standing on the other side and she could not connect with them. The trauma of this really had to do with subtype issues, being a social subtype and having herself separate from the group that was her core family group. So it just gives us a tremendous amount of information that we can then quickly go to. It's like someone said, well, learning the Enneagram is worth about six months of therapy because it guides you right away to the possibilities. It's not going to say everything about what you're bringing into my office is about the Enneagram, but boy, does it bring a lot of stuff to light or at least as an area to go to. So trauma can be generalized. It can also be very specific specific or how you deal with trauma can be very type related. Wow. Fascinating. Noah, can you tell us more about, so Elaine mentioned there were subtypes. There's also wings. There's also these little arrows going from one number to another. It's a very complex system without going into, you know, too much detail. Tell us just a little bit about what those things are and what does it, what, what information does it give us? Yeah. So We'll borrow a little bit from what Elaine just said. 
you've got the core nine types, which are the, the world viewpoint, right? Now you have overlaid on that, the three instincts Elaine just described of, you know, wanting, wanting to stay alive, self-preservation, or maybe she didn't describe all three, I forget. I did. Um, wanting to stay alive, self-preservation, the survival of the body, right? Shelter, food, warmth. Um, and then there's, you know, the survival of your social self. You want to be part of the community, part of the group, have a good reputation, good social standing, right? That's a whole nother survival-based drive to be included. And then there's the survival drive for closeness and bonding. So what we would call the one-on-one -on -one drive evoked anytime it's, you know, a pair of lovers, you know, the mother and the baby, the two best friends hanging out together. That's all the one-on-one -on -one energy, right? Uh, sort of a straight line, energetic shape, right? So the drive to stay alive, the drive to belong with the community and the drive to have intimate bonds with individual others. Those three instincts overlay on the nine numbers to give us what we, we would think of as 27 subtype variations, instinctual subtype variations, right? Now, if any subtype of any number could also have one of two wings, right? So I'll give myself as an example. I'm a six, that's my core type. My subtype is self-preservation. So the survival of the body more than the social standing or the one-on-one -on -one interactions, right? Um, and then I have a seven wing. So I'm a little bit more, the, we could look at this as like a color wheel almost where they would fade into each other a little bit. So six is kind of composed of a little bit of seven and a little bit of five in a way. Um, and I can tell that I'm more over here on my kind of, you know, there's more of this, the sevenness blended into my six on the little color palette, you know, as opposed to the five. Um, so we're getting really nuanced, just that puts 54 cards in the deck, I like to say. If you have nine types multiplied by three instinctual variants, multiplied by two possible wings for anybody, that's 54 type combinations. So there's a lot of nuance here, right? Um, but then you've got the lines. The lines are a whole different conversation from everything else I just said, right? The lines are about state change. Everything else, you know, uh, subtypes have a little bit of state change element in there too, but the lines really speak to the movement and transformation of energy. So basically for human psychological energy, stress, right? that's putting more pressure on the system, right? Comfort, joy, you know, happiness, right? That usually that means the system is not so pressurized, right? So the classical thinking is that there's a stress line and a security line. For me as a six, it would be that I would be in security at nine and I would be in stress at three. I see what everybody was getting at when they called them those things because this idea of pressurizing the system, it's very relevant. Usually when you pressurize me, you know, I'm made more under the gun, I tend to go here. But sometimes I try to reach for this for security and comfort. So it's not really as simple as security and uh, stress or disintegration and integration, right? We like to think of these as resource points. So on each line, you'll find useful resources for your issues of your core type. So for me as a six, you know, there are core preoccupations and issues here that really need looking at and working with. And there is help to deal with those issues over here. So I can borrow some of the chill from nines to try to balance out the anxiety of my sickness, which is high, right? I can also get some of this task orientation and confidence from the threes of, you know, look at me shine. I don't have to over humble myself just to survive, right? Which sixes are sometimes guilty of. So. There's a lot of uh, commentary on changing states with the lines. Things are shifting for you, uh, but also things you can bring back with you from your connected territories to help you kind of work with your core type, you know? And I'll add a couple little things. I'm up there on the chart as a nine. Um, our wings are just the two types that are next to us. So any number you are, if you just think of, you know, your wings are right next to you here on your shoulders, those two types. Most of my life, I've lived in, I have a much stronger one wing and, and ones sometimes are called perfectionists, but because their standards are so high, they don't think of themselves as perfect. 
but I can be very perfectionistic. Like, you know, that Coke bottle that he saw the person dying in the ambulance. I see it as those people should pick it up. They're not only littering, but they're not recycling. Right. So we have a very different view of the Coke bottle. Yeah. Um, I'm trying, as I have been more comfortable with confrontation, I'm really working on being more ape-like being more willing to be in a situation that I would have shied from from the past. So I'm actually working on pulling some eight into my, into just the way I am around the world. Um, I'm a part of what's called an Enneagram learning community. And we meet twice a year for three days for a deep dive into an Enneagram topic. And over the years, I really see myself as having changed as a result all of this work and this conversation. And I see everyone else, the other 35 people in this group changing as well. And so I almost have a feeling that we started off, if you sort of described us as this circle on the floor, very separate types. But as we have all grown and learned, we're sort of spiraling up to being very similar. And it's sort of a sense of, ah, we do have all these characteristics now more of them are showing up that when I was kind of held tightly into my nineness, I didn't see my eightness, my sevenness, my fourness. Now it's like that's all available to me. So it's another way to use the Enneagram to grow, to specific say, specifically say, I'm lacking something. And this offers me something that I can see. I also wanted to mention the word Enneagram comes from the Greek word enia for nine. So people go, ah, what a strange name. I just wanted to be sure I mentioned that. Yes, thank you. I've forgotten that. Um, I, I, I love what you said right before that too, um, the sort of with the evolution, because it reminds me of like Carl Jung's work, right? I mean, he's the whole Myers-Briggs typology was sort of based on his work. And the idea with that is not that you're just going to stay you know, primarily being an extrovert, you want to develop the other side of that polarity, your introverted side. If you are a thinker, you want to develop the feeling aspects so that you can have more balance, right? And so the Enneagram has that similar kind of, we want, we want as, as an evolved person to have qualities of all nine and all, and all the, probably all the subtypes and, and stuff as well, right? And as you bring in Jung, it, it, there's a real connection between archetypes and types. So for example, type two as the giver, the helper is sort of an archetype of women. And yet there are as many male twos. So sometimes people kind of are taken aback when something that seems to be more gender oriented um, actually is, is there equally in, in all gender types. And um, but we may not give as much credit for, um, I know some, you may have experienced this as a female eight, um, and I don't know what, how you gender yourself, but uh, normally um, eights are kind of quickly thought of as men, but there are very, very strong women who as eights, they want to go and you know power the world and be in there empowering others. And so sometimes people can kind of be caught off by that, but the all genders are in all types. And so it's important to see really where people are coming from rather than um, something that just might seem typical. Uh, and there's a word I just went out of my head. Um, I'll let that go, which is sort of uh, less typical, not stereoty stereotypical versus non-stereotypes. Yeah, like like the neurodivergent, you know, yeah. movement and, and all of that. Yeah, I love that. Um, and you you know, you're also reminding me too of like the evolution within type. Cause yeah, eights can get a bad rap, you know. And absolutely. Um, and I remember uh like one of my teachers saying, Well, look, you know, it you can be an eight that's like a Genghis Khan, or you can be an eight who's like, I don't know um some really like a like a martin luther king or somebody who's you know really there for humanity versus like 
like what I would call kingdom of me and me and my wants, I'm going to get whatever I want versus kingdom of we, like I, as an eight really am interested in empowering everyone. And yes. I'm not interested in dominating everyone. That's not, I, I, that was more my dad's style. And I've sort of evolved from that maybe earlier in life and really now more interested in kind of empowering humanity. So I can see how even within type, you can evolve over, over time or working on yourself or, or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we're saying with the idea of essence qualities versus personality based qualities, right? Uh, for eightness as the example, you know, protectiveness and empowering, uh, empowering people, those are part of the essence qualities, right? Controlling and dominating, not so much. That's, a, that's exclusively the personality based realm, you know, um, but Speaking toward the word balance, which I think is the word that uh, you picked a minute from Elaine, I like to point out that the Enneagram system is all about balancing threes rather than balancing twos. So like the, you know, the Jungian stuff, you know, introversion, extroversion, all that, it's kind of about balancing uh, twos, right? The yin and the yang. The Enneagram is sort of about the yin and the yang and then the recon reconciling force from the interaction of the two, creating sort of a trinity effect. So you can see the triangle right there in the middle of the diagram. Uh, so we already talked about the subtype energies of you want the survival of the body, belonging with the community, and then one-on-one -on -one intimacy with individual others. So we all have one of those that tends to kind of eat up the energy of the other two, our dominant instinct, right? So we wanna balance those three, kind of have an instinctual stool where you're sitting on three even legs, right? And the same thing would apply in Enneagram world to our forms of intelligence. So we haven't done this yet here uh, today, but there are three triads in the Enneagram based on your primary center of intelligence. So eights, nines, and ones are in the body triad, meaning that they use the intelligence of the body, the gut, right? kinesthetics, instinctive awareness, kind of the knowing beyond knowing, right? Yeah. It's not necessarily based on strict data, right? Um, the intelligence of the heart triad, which is types two, three, and four, they're working with that emotional intelligence, right? These are three very emotionally fluent types. And even if they're not necessarily fluent with their own emotions in a given context or a given type, uh, they're usually pretty fluent at kind of digesting other people's emotions and using that as they navigate, right? Uh, and then we have the head triad over here where the primary center of intelligence is, you know, the mental area, right? Not the gut, not the feelings, but what do I think? What do I believe with my sort of paradigms? Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> if you are in any given triad, obviously we're saying that that's the center that's dominant for you. Head triad is dominant over here, body and then heart for these three. But in an ideal world, you wouldn't have an, a dominant form of intelligence. You would use all three split in thirds, you know, mm -hmm. your mind, your heart, and your body would all be firing sort of in equal parts, right? None of them sucking up the energy of the others. So balance is a game of three as far as the Enneagram is concerned, usually. So as, as we start to move toward winding this down, the question I wanted to ask each of you is, in your domain as a coach and as a, as a therapist, um, what, what would you suggest like for someone who's wanting like a professional, a healing professional who might be interested in learning more about this system? Like what have you found to be the benefits of using the Enneagram in your work? Um, for me, and, I, and can I plug a workshop we have coming up? Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> Very shortly on Friday, August 19th, we have an introduction to the Enneagram class that is geared for therapists, counselors, coaches, whatever. It's our normal introduction class, but all the examples we use have to do with what shows up in a therapist's office for each type. So it's, it's not the only thing that shows up, but our examples will all be things that have to do with mental health and helping clients and noticing yourself as a therapist, how your own type might influence this. So, so we have this class coming up on August 19th from nine to four. And I think you're gonna put our contact information where our website is the Enneagram anytime, all one word, dot com. And then we, in September, we have a class specifically geared for subtypes. And it's not, while it's not just for therapists, 
everyone can learn about that. So I use the Enneagram as a tool for any client that walks in. I describe it a little bit. Usually this is maybe the end of the first day I'm seeing someone and, and say, here's a tool. I describe it a little bit, send them home with uh, some paragraphs that describe each of the nine types. And then we have that there sitting kind of as a companion in our therapy work to look at, is this an issue that you as a nine is feeling most deeply? Or is this something that could be common for a four or whatever? And knowing the things that come up in therapy. So for example, the feeling of abandonment for force. I know that is a word that, that can trigger many fours because of various things. So I don't shy away from those things. I will go right at them. And, and just like before I said, you know, knowing the Enneagram can be worth about six months of actual work to figure out what's going on. I also had a student, because I've taught the Enneagram many times to high school students who eat it up. It's a fabulous tool if you're working with teens. Because again, there's not the, what did you do wrong? It is, who are you? How are you in the world when you may have these parents who are so different from you? What a help that is. You mean they don't hate me? They were just very different types who are moving through the world. And, and Noah went like this because mm. so many people in couples or teams or, or whatever have these experiences of, you don't see me. You don't know me and I don't know myself. So the Enneagram just gives us tremendous help. And as a therapist, I still do somatic work. I do CBT. I do, you know, huge number of different strategies. I'm somebody who uses lots of different modalities, but the Enneagram is always there as a guide of what might be coming up. Does that answer your question? It does. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And Noah, how about for you? So I guess I would have sort of a two-sided answer. As far as when I'm thinking of myself as the client or, or for the client side of the interaction, uh, handles to grab onto for what's going on inside of you. Terminology, names to give to sort of the inner workings and how it all has a very specific, everything relates to everything in very intentional ways. And there's names for all those relationships of what's going on inside, um, you know. These are, I also like to think of these as nine word dumps where you can kind of put language and terminology that's really relevant towards a particular aspect of being human in each of these sort of piles, these nine areas, right? So, you know, being able to name everything about your habits, your work, what's going on in your relationships, that's so huge. But then uh, from the sort of practitioner side of things, when I'm working with a client, this just feels so valuable for what's going on uh, the tone of what's going on and differentiating it between types. So again, I'm not a clinician over here. Uh, I don't treat, I don't diagnose, but in the uh, instances of people feeling, we'd say anxious or depressed, maybe on a non-clinical level even, and with my coaching clients, a good example I like to give, the type four depression is sort of this very visceral, sort of like raw nerve kind of tone to it more often than not. Type nines also report depression, you know, plenty, like lots of talk to lots of nines who have that, uh, but it's sort of noted as this dissociated depression, like this sort of very flat, not visceral in the same way as the fours. So it's like the four, they're kind of coming more and more alive to the experience as depression comes on, whereas nines tend to fade away as the impression, as the depression comes on, you know? So, uh, Having the same thing with the same name going on for different personalities, you can just see that it takes a different tone, you know? And I find that really incredibly helpful, you know? Yeah, because then you can really tailor your interventions to kind of match what their tone is, right? Yeah. It gives you more information to work with. So yeah. it is a really beautiful system and so intricate. And I know so many people love using it both on as the client and as the therapist or, or healer coach. Um, so it's really wonderful that we've been able to have this conversation today. I'm so grateful that um, you guys came on and shared your wisdom with us and the audience. Uh, you've named your website. If people want to find you, can you go ahead and say that again? 
Enneagram Anytime. And one of the reasons we like that title is it helps remind people how to pronounce Ennea. <laughs> so yeah. EnneagramAnytime.com. And then we, we have information about the Enneagram. We also have a list of all our events and um, things that are going on. And we're just growing our calendar, but we, we usually offer one class a month that's open to anybody. Um, for therapists, I'm a CEU provider. So a really wonderful thing is if someone came to this class from California on the 19th, they could earn six CEUs. Um, and uh, then we have our type groups once a month of support. And you would not believe the deep conversations we have with a group of twos or a group of sixes or a group of nines. It is so validating to be with other people like you. So I do want to encourage people if they already know their type and they're looking, where can I do some extra, extra uh, exploration? We offer those once a month um, just for two hours. And those are really wonderful conversations. Awesome. Yeah. I learned a tremendous amount when I took my workshop years ago by watching those panels of a bunch of fours or sixes or eights yes. all together. And like, wow, you really can't see how those, those themes run through their lives. So thank you so much, Elaine and Noah, for being with us today. Um, thank you viewers and listeners for tuning in. If you like this podcast, please do share, rate it, uh, like like it, comment on it, whatever will help us get more likes out there so more people can find it. And so people can know that there are these wonderful healing modalities and other ways to look at mental health. See you next time. Bye. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. This has been Dr. Adriana Popescu. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe and share with others. To find out more about me, my guests, and more, please visit my website at adrianapopescu.org. See you next time.